Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and congratulations. You made it. You made it through 2020. Why did 2020 feel like seven marathons and 10 years rolled into one? But you made it. Either way, you made it. So what we thought we would do is, is compile some clips to encourage you as you step into 2021 and uh, you look forward and learn as you look backward. So that's what we did. We looked backward. We grabbed a couple clips uh, from some of our favorite episodes, and we're going to give that to you here so that when you can listen to it, you can get appetizers with the clips. And then when you're ready, you can go back and listen to the full episode to get the full meal. So let's let's do this. 2020 was rough on most of us. I think kicking it off uh, with Jess Ekstrom is the right way to go. She is the owner of Headbands of Hope and the author of Chasing the Bright Side. What you're going to hear is Jess defining the term optimism and explaining how to not let your circumstances define you. Optimism is not a positivity pledge because I think that that's what we originally feel that it is, is this right. um, being happy all the time and staying in your happy place and just kind of this ignorance is bliss mentality. Optimism kind of gets a bad rap for being um maybe not totally with it. But really what optimism is at its core is we can see the bad, we can absorb it and still believe that there can be good. So really when we need optimism the most is when times aren't good. And I like mm-hmm. to, you know, do this little exercise if you think about any great movement that has happened, any great change whether that's me too or civil rights or you know something that was really uh historic none of those things began when times were good but it was it took mm-hmm. someone or some optimistic movement to make it better and so i think i i what i want chasing the bright side to be is really get out of our head that optimism is about you know throwing confetti in the air and just you know skipping through a meadow with a flower crown on it's really uh, it's really um, being able to to face these times of need, face things that you know aren't good, and think about what can I do? What is my role here to make this better, even if it's small? That's very helpful. It's encouraging to me too. Um, if you, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, audience, as you're listening to this, I was encouraged by listening to her book and reading her book and hearing her speak because of those small things that she just talked about, what it isn't, it's not confetti thrown up. It makes it more real, more attainable for folks like me that actually struggle with stuff. So um, in chapter two, I I took some notes. I'm going to throw a couple questions at you here from the book specifically. So in chapter two, you say this phrase that's pretty loaded and I'd I'd like to hear your take on it and kind of um, expand on a little bit. So you say in chapter two, we are not what happened, uh, what has happened to us. We are the story we write from it. So that chapter, um, is a pretty loaded chapter. I talk about, uh, something that I've been kind of had in the closet for a long time. It might Mm-hmm. uncle, I still am not very good at talking about it, as you can tell. Uh, my uncle is Bernie Madoff, who is one of the biggest financial frauds in history. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, and it was something that I really tried to um, compartmentalize from my life for over 10 years. And just, I, I'm the girl who does headbands of hope. That's not me. You know, that's, I don't, I'm not associated yeah. with him. I tried, even my closest friends had no idea my, um, my relationship to him. 
And it wasn't mm. until I was, you know, writing this book that I'm like, if I'm going to write a book about optimism, I have to write really how I got there because it wasn't about this one day I was woke up and was inspired. It was about this one day where I felt like, what, like, which way is left? Which way is right? I don't even know what's yeah. up or down when we got, you know, when I turned on the news and saw my family members that I love on every channel. And so it took me a while to realize that like our experiences and our stories are two completely different things. So our experiences are these tangible things that happen to us. You know, maybe it's the weather, it's, you know, our neighbor's dog barking or whatever it is that are out of our control. But our stories are how we internalize and respond to our experiences. And so we could have this one single experience, but write a completely different story. And so that's really what happened, you know, in chapter two with uh, Bernie Madoff being my uncle and doing this terrible thing. I could use that as mm -hmm. the excuse as to why I want to do less, or that could be the reason as to why I want to do more. And that's all in our mindset of, of, realizing that we are not what is what has happened to us we are the stories that we want to write from it all right john swallow is president of carthage college in kenosha wisconsin and he's going to talk about the greatest leadership lesson that he's learned so far this is back in episode 48 on february 2nd the greatest leadership lesson i've learned is to be a non-anxious or non-reactive presence i was uh, taught that uh, by interacting with uh, the dean of the School of Theology at Sewanee, um, so an Episcopal priest and later bishop, um, who pointed out how powerful that can be and how many priests or seminary students need to learn it. And it comes from family systems theory, but uh, I, I came to appreciate so strongly how when there's a really tough discussion to be had, uh, if you're going to be a leader um, and you're going to deliver some hard messages, the last thing you want is for this interaction to become just a series of reactions. Somebody gets upset, then you get upset, then you say something you shouldn't, then they react to that, because all of that is a distraction from yeah. what's actually happening. Yes. And sometimes people need to say a lot of things and you need to hear them, not ignore them, not get upset. And so, uh, and that's not, I don't want to say it's checking out. You need to be present in the moment, but you need to uh, be a non-reactive presence, hear what they have to say. They may be angry, they may be upset, they may question your motives, uh, but develop that capacity. Over time, uh, that means that the organization will be healthier. People will feel like they were hurt um, because they really were hurt. Uh, and you're not introducing unnecessary emotion into what's already difficult. So that lesson, uh, which comes from Edwin Friedman, who has done some work on this, um, and Edwin Friedman would say there are three things. There's being self-differentiated, which is about not being a part of someone else's emotional matrix, hmm. um, and then being non-anxious, and then being present with those that you're leading, that all of those things are vital in families, um, in religious organizations, and I would say in all kinds of organizations. Organizations that are trying hard not to be bureaucratic and hierarchical and all of the negative things, um, where authenticity matters. Um, they're going to need leaders who have that capacity. Um, if everything's going well, maybe you don't need it. 
that something's probably <laughs> going to go wrong. Yeah. Uh, some, you know, budget's going to need to be adjusted or somebody's office is going to have to be moved or, mm-hmm. you know, some building's going to have to be renovated. And developing that capacity, that, that non-anxiousness, um, can over time actually develop more confidence and trust than the opposite, which is just reacting. Everybody knows you're going to react, so they, they give you the feedback, mm-hmm. and then you get angry at them, and then they, you know, back and forth. And it turns into a whole thing that it never started out to right, be. Right, and which is completely unproductive. Yeah. And means that people are less likely to tell you what they mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Just tell me the truth. Nah, I'd yeah. rather not. <laughs> right, because I know, I know you're going to get angry. Yeah. Todd Bolsinger is the author of Canoeing the Mountains and was our guest on episode 52. Uh, Now, his interview had so much content, we actually broke it out into two episodes. What we're going to jump into here are the three components needed for transformational leadership. So, you know, if obviously if we were sitting here in the room, I would be writing on the back of a napkin a Venn diagram of three circles. Um, And because these are the three components that make up transformational leadership. So technical competence is literally your expertise. Most people who end up in leadership, it's because they were actually good at a task, right? Mm-hmm. So a person with the highest sales ends up getting invited to be the sales manager or to lead the sales team. Um, the person who is the professor who publishes the most gets invited to consider being the dean. Um, in the church circles, we always say this, that whoever is the best preacher ends up being the person in charge of the whole church. Well, you end up um, thinking about that in a different way because that technical competence now requires you to step into an area where most of us don't have much competence. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, not, just because you're a good individual contributor doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach or a good team leader. Right? Many star players never become great coaches. Relational congruence is what builds trust with people. So technical competence gives you credibility. You can do the job. Relational congruence means that you show up as the same person in every place you are. Doesn't mean you're perfect means you're mm-hmm. congruent. doesn't mean that you're all wise and all-knowing. It means that you know yourself well enough and you are wise enough to know how to ask for help, to know how to build a team, how to invite people into a process, right? So, so what leaders need in order to take people, what I call off the map, into mm-hmm. uncharted territory, into their own process of transformation, is it starts with needing to have enough technical competence where, they, where you have credibility and enough relational congruence where they have trust where people trust you're going to be the same person. An example I often use is if you, uh, if I wanted to do a, um, you know, a backcountry um, backpacking trip in off a trail into sort of the wilderness, I'd want to go with an expert who understands the outdoors, mm-hmm. but I'd also want to go with somebody who is not just a, a risk taking thrill seeker. I want somebody who's also going to make sure I get home safe, who knows how to work with someone like me who is inexperienced. One first is technical competence. The second is relational congruence. Adaptive capacity is the third circle. So once you have technical competence and relational congruence, once you have credibility and trust, now you actually have to learn a whole different way of taking the core values and adapting them to the changing environment without losing what is the most valuable to them. And that's what adaptive capacity is. It's that ability to know what is so important it will never change, and then be able to transform that or adapt that in such a way that it now becomes a value add or a strategic advantage or a, a missional inspiration or a purpose that is going to take you where you wouldn't otherwise go. And so it, an adaptive capacity is the capacity to learn as you go and navigate loss because it all changes experiences loss. 
and to deal with competing commitments and competing values. And on the map, what is the on the map skill set? Yeah, so on the map is your technical competence, right? So so for Lewis and Clark, it was folks who understood how to run rivers and how yep. to navigate and and how to how to build um, a good military unit that had discipline and took care of each other and took care of all the supplies and made sure that there was food and that everybody was doing well and you knew how to handle when there was injuries or when people got sick. Like those are all the skills you have to have. So I, I would say the hard part about leadership today is you have to have on the map technical competence, the capacity to build trust, relational congruence, and you have to have this capacity to take these people and lead them into an environment where the very first step they're going to look at you and say, hey, expert, you got us this far. What should we do next? And you know you're off the map when the very next thing you say is, I don't know. This is rapid fire. This is fun. I'm having fun. I hope you're having fun as well. The next clip is from my conversation with April Sprints in episode 73 back uh, October 26th about the generosity culture and how generosity fits perfectly during tough times. So the generosity culture really applies to that in in a few ways. So if you already have a culture of generosity, I'll tell you that that making those pay cuts and making those changes is easier because you are all functioning as a team. So I have some clients where their employees volunteered to take the pay cuts because they care about the overall success of the company. They know that as long as this time period has seemed to all of us, it is a finite time period before we all get to a different normal where things aren't this tough. So they're they're willing to weather that with their leadership, with their companies because of that culture. Now, I've had companies come to me that have not created this beforehand, but want to do the right things by their employees. So having a culture of, of generosity again can help because, for example, for a sales team that they were going to just cut back to base salaries and ask them to get their commissions at the end of the year, assuming that revenue was good. The other thing that they did was go one step further. And for the folks that were experiencing this, talk to them about financially, where are your biggest concerns? And then offer to assist with that. So whether that was the mortgage company or they were renting a place somewhere, write a letter that described how their economic situation has changed and asked for some leniency from whoever they were paying. So just getting in there and helping them undergo these changes will not only help with the current situation, but Mm -hmm. the amount of loyalty that that builds over time that you care. We're all making tough decisions, absolutely. But I care individually about it, how it impacts you. So the the company that you just referenced, they actually stepped in on behalf of the the employees, the reps to figure out how they could help navigate, negotiate, identify the most pertinent things that need to be paid, like beyond just gas money getting to, to work, like their mortgage payments and stuff. Absolutely. Like, what are the things you're most worried about? And is there a way that we can help you negotiate some leniency? Because depending on the the age and experience of sales reps, they may or may not know that some people will make those changes for you. They'll be more lenient. And even walking them through it, if they're concerned with doing it and giving them that documentation, it was huge. 
On June 22nd, in episode 64, we heard from Jeff Cullen and Ahmad Kawai Kukawi about how they navigated the transition from current CEO to incoming CEO for the YMCA locally here in Racine. So in this clip, we're going to hear from Mr. Q about his vision for the Y under his leadership going forward. Pre-corona, um, I, I, I was looking at really focusing more of my efforts on the health and wellness side of the organization. Okay. So a lot of the programs that come out of our sealed air branch, you know, Parkinson's live strong, working with cancer survivors, uh, di- uh, diabetes prevention. And so I really wanted to focus on that area, uh, in general and, and chronic illnesses. And then once, uh, the coronavirus hit and I started to educate myself because uh, I think right now about 55% of Racine County's infected uh, populations are of color. Primarily, uh, I think the Hispanic community is about a third of the numbers, and then we make up about 20% ourselves. And so as I started looking and, and, and thinking about, okay, what is what is the why is going to be coming out of this? I remembered uh, the social determinants of health. And uh, those are the things that uh, the environment that people are, you know, we're born, we live, we learn, we work, we play, we worship, you know, we age in this environment, right? And it's called the social determinants of health. And there are five uh, five determinants. One is economic stability, education. Uh, third is social and community context, uh, health and health care. And then the last is neighborhood and built environment. So, I learned about that years ago when I was involved on behalf of the Y and the infant mortality, meaning that um, Racine had one of the highest numbers of African-American babies that were that would not make it to their first birthday in the country. What was making that happen was these social determinants of health. And so now we're dealing with Corona. OK, well, OK, now the populations that's getting uh that's that's mostly affected by this have a lot of the worst health outcomes right so it mirrored what i was thinking about anyway and then the murder happens right in in, in minnesota and so now racism is thrown to the top of this you know and so now when i went back to the social determinants of health i looked at those things and i said it's all intertwined and all those five things I just said, racism mm. is also embedded in that, too. I was listening to a webinar and one of the doctors was saying, you know, race, racism isn't a person. Right. Racism is, is, a, is a system, it's something that's put in place and people just keep it going. The next clip is taken from uh, episode 61 on May 11th, and it might be the most widely applicable title. How to lead when you're not in charge. Clay Scroggins is the author of the book with the same title, was the guest in that episode, and he's going to tell us where to start when we lack authority. Every single person is in charge of something, though none of us are in charge of everything, uh, but we all have something that we are in charge of. And so you got to start with what's the most primary responsibility you have as a leader. That's to lead that organism, that mechanism that you're sitting in right now, that body that you have. So how are you leading? what you've been given. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you challenging your mind? Are you creating an oasis of excellence right there in and of yourself? 
you know, it's, it's interesting how dangerous a leader is that lacks self-control, uh, mm. that doesn't have the ability to regulate their own emotions, to regulate their own behavior. So I think that's where you have to start is, can I create an oasis of excellence with this, this body, this person that I've been given? Uh, what I believe is really true with leadership is that if you can show that you're trustworthy and leading yourself, then you'll be given more opportunity to lead other things. Uh, this is a quote from Jesus. He said, hey, he who is faithful with a little will be trusted with a lot. And that simple concept, I think, is more profound than we even give it credit that if an oasis of excellence is basically, hey, you know, if I were to take an org chart, I've done this with hundreds of people. If I were to say, hey, I want you to, you know, you got the people above you, you have the people beside you and have the people below you. I want you to circle the source of the majority of your challenges and frustrations at work today. Probably 70% of people circle their boss or bosses. Another 20% of people circle the people next to them, to the left and to the right. You know, I'm in sales. If I could only get the product development team to be a little more creative with what they're creating, right. it would give me something better to sell. You know, whereas the product development team is frustrated at the sales team because they're making promises that they can't deliver on. So that's a constant challenge between your peers. And then less than 10% of people circle the people below them. You know, hardly ever are the volunteers that I lead or the staff that I lead my source of frustrations and challenges because I feel like that's where I have the most control. And if I could decide, all right, well, I can't control my boss, I can't control my peers, but I do have an opportunity to influence them. But what I have the my greatest opportunity to influence is the what I'm most in charge of. And that primarily is myself. And then secondly, the area that I am in charge of, the area that I lead. And it might just be a few volunteers or it might just be a small little team. But you got to make a decision that I'm going to create an oasis of excellence right there with what I'm leading. So mm -hmm. I really think about it with our campus. You know, I've just decided, hey, uh, if I want it to be so for our whole organization, I've got to prove that it can happen at our campus. I've got to prove that it can actually work and I've got to create an oasis of excellence with what I've been given to lead. I think that's the place where we've all got to start is am I creating something with what I have most control over? Am I creating something that's worth replicating? Am I creating something that would be worth passing on to other, uh, to other people? In episode 63, back on June 6th, we had Darcy Loma, founder and CEO of Darcy Loma Coaching and Consulting. She was on the podcast. We also had her virtually speak. Um, and holy smokes, uh, this lady is so strong. A few days after solidifying the thoughtfully fit concept with her team, she unexpectedly had to test the theory on the very worst day of her life. So thoughtfully fit came to life because I wanted people to be more effective in handling their lives and, and seeing all these themes of what gets in the way. Uh, we solidified the model on a Saturday and five days later, my life blew up in the most extreme way. I got a phone call from my neighbor asking what was happening at my house. And I said, I, I don't know. I'm not at home. Why? And she said, well, Darcy, there is a SWAT team outside the house. There's 50 uh, police officers with guns and uh, they just took out your husband barefoot in handcuffs and he wouldn't look at us. And I said, what, what are you talking about? I, I, I was absolutely completely in shock. Well, what happened, um, Steve, was uh, what I came to find out is that my, my husband of 10 years, the next day would have been our, we were celebrating our 10 year wedding anniversary. Um, and we had 
two young daughters who were eight and nine at the time. My, my husband, John, stayed home full time with them. Uh, he was arrested for sexual assault of a minor that he had met online. And my life literally blew up. And I became ground zero for test driving this new model that had just been crystallized five days earlier because while John had a whole legal uh, uh, situation to deal with, and ultimately he, he, when he left that day, he never came home and he is serving a 10 year pr uh, prison sentence. I all of a sudden became ground zero because I had to hire my own attorney, not knowing what was going on and being blindsided. I didn't know if I was at risk. And my attorney said, Darcy, don't talk to anybody about anything. And all of a sudden my hands were tied. And, and, and what I would normally have done when adversity strikes is, you know, call my mom, call my friends, call my therapist. And all of a sudden, all I had to rely on was thoughtfully fit. And I test drove this model. And so now I'm passionate about helping others because if it can, if it can help me navigate the worst thing that's ever happened in my life, I know it can help others when mm. they have conflict, when they get that, uh, that bad news, that cancer diagnosis, when their boss snaps at them, any kind of situation that that's challenging. Keep it rolling. Back in August, August 3rd, I believe, uh, episode 67, we had Lyle Wells, president of Integris Leadership, give a coaching lesson on leadership itself. And then he also explained the power of routine. Yeah, and I'm going to warn you, you're going to need to listen to this a few times because there is a lot of value even in just this clip here. The great leaders, Steve, that I've worked with have ridiculous routines. They do the same high impact behaviors over and over and over again. One of the best things that I've ever learned is to have a top five as a leader. So, so here's my top five. Um, every day I wake up and these five things are gonna happen. Uh, number one, I'm a, a Christian man, so I'm gonna abide. I'm gonna have a, a quiet time, a prayer time. Number two is I'm gonna sweat. Uh, the fittest man I know is in his 70s. He's a guy I used to work with. And his fitness philosophy is sweat every day. So some days I run, some days I walk, some days I lift weights, some days I swim, some days I jump on a bike. I just, my goal is I break a sweat every day. So I abide, I sweat. Number three, I love. There are some relationships that matter more to me than any other on this planet. And so I'm going to invest intentionally into those relationships, my wife, my children, my team. The third thing is I'm going to advance. That's my wiring. I'm wired to take something and make it more. So I'm going to advance an idea and write every day. I'm going to advance uh, an idea and teach every day. So my, my fourth is to advance and my fifth is to learn. I think that, that when leaders stop growing, their organizations start dying. I'll say that again. That's a tweet or a tattoo. That's good. When leaders stop growing, their organizations start dying. And so every day, I'm going to learn. I'm going to have a conversation with somebody smarter than me. I'm going to read, you know, and again, um, I may only read 10 or 12 pages. I mean, I was I was busy, you know, traveling yesterday, so didn't have a lot of time, but I'm going to learn something new every day and I'm going to record it in my journal. So every day I have at least one daily lesson. Now, episode 72, this was particularly sweet for me as I interviewed my mentor, John Nelson, about mentorship itself. In this clip, John's going to tell us how to find a mentor. You've got to really pay attention and start looking around. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that's what I did on a couple of different occasions, is I started looking around our community to see if there were some men that were doing some things that really got my attention. Like, yeah, they must know something that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first got into youth ministry, I started hanging around with a, a youth pastor that had been a youth pastor for a long time, and he wasn't a lot older than me. He was maybe three or four years older than me. But I'd listen to him, and I remember thinking, he knows a lot of stuff that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's really working. Whatever he's doing is really working. I can see the response he's getting from people around him. And so I went to him and I said, how, how did you get to this place? And that became, uh, began a brand new journey for me. And he was very humble and, and I pursued it and went after it. And so I'd say, look around in your field mm-hmm. and maybe it's someone that's not even in your field. You might say that, you know, I'm more interested in just growing my character in who I am right. as a business person or whatever field it is, as a pastor or as a doctor or whatever it may be. And I've noticed some people through the, you know, I've worked my network mm-hmm. and I've known some people and then I've asked other people about those people and you listen to what they say about that person mm-hmm. and you zero in on it. And I don't, I don't know that there's anything uh, really special or magical about it. I think you, 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 connect with that person, you take them out for lunch and make sure you pay and say, listen, you know, I've been watching you. Would you consider, I know you're a really busy person. I can see that, that your schedule's full. But would you consider spending some time with me? Because I'd like to really grow in a couple areas of my life and maybe even describe those. And if this person is who you think they are, they'll probably find a way to fit you into their schedule. That's good. So, I don't think it needs to be all that uncomfortable. Basically, you're saying is, like I said earlier, is, man, I, I look at what you're doing, and I'd like to know how that works. How, how did you get to this place? And I think what you're going to find is they'll start talking about somebody that mentored them. That's good. And poured into their life. Usually that's what comes up, is they'll say, yeah, when I was, you know, whatever, I came across this guy, and, and, and boy, they were a big help to me. There was an episode where I was broing out unapologetically. It was with Alex Judd, the owner of Path for Growth, uh, on episode 68 back in August uh, 17th. The whole interview was fun. I actually got value from the post recording and the pre recording. This section, we're going to jump right into the punchline of the conversation regarding growth and how Alex sees it. One of the things that I've recognized over the course of my career and looking back at my life and then also with regard to the leaders uh, that I get to, that I've gotten to work with, especially over the past four years at Ramsey and on the Entree Leadership Podcast, is I've come to recognize that there's a pattern, that it is a powerful day when someone chooses to recognize that their growth is their responsibility. Like it is a powerful day when you, Steve, when I, Alex, when anyone that's listening to this, when we choose to decide that our growth is our responsibility, because so often the trend and the routine right now is to say that, oh, I'm just not growing. I'm just not being fed. I'm just not being poured into (laughs) one year olds need someone to feed them, right? We're theoretically, we are adults, so we should be able to feed ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. that means that our growth is our responsibility. And when you make that decision, well, then, then you take growth away from circumstance or for, from your boss or, or from uh, your coworkers. And you say, 
I'm going to own my growth. My growth is my responsibility. And that's a powerful day whenever you start with that decision, because once you establish that decision, well, then you can start to take action. And one of the things that I work with leaders on is we, we work first on the big three questions, which is why do we exist, which is found in a personal mission statement? Where am I going, which is found in a crystal clear vision? And what do I stand for, which is found in the core values like we just talked about? And then we can do the same thing for, for your business as well. And then we say, okay, if that's the overarching, if those are the big decisions, the higher conceptual decisions that we need to make, like Peter Drucker said, well, then what are the actions and the rhythms and the routines that we can consistently execute on over an extended period of time to make sure that those decisions become a reality? And so Path for Growth is really designed around the fact that we're going to sit down with a person, whether it's in an, in an intensive, which is like a, a two to three day, like roll up your sleeves, double down and work really hard on this thing. Or it's a it's a six month coaching track or a tw- 12 month coaching track. We're going to sit down and we're going to say, OK, what would it look like for you to be winning personally from a leadership perspective and from a business perspective six months from now or two days from now or 12 months from now? And then we work backwards from that and we say, okay, let's create a plan. Let's create a path for growth to take you from where you are today, from here to there in December or this time next year or this time in two days. And then we get to December and we say, okay, this is what you said you wanted to accomplish. Let's go through the list and see if we have done what we said we were going to do. To get more content, Go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast. You're going to have access to dozens of conversations like the one you just listened to, except the full thing. So go check that out, ccbtechnology.com slash podcast. And the point of this is to aid in your growth as a leader. And as Clay Scroggins said, we don't believe you're a leader because of title. We believe you're a leader because of influence. So if you have influence, you're a leader and your cup needs to be full let us help you fill your cup. Go listen to those other episodes. Give us feedback. Uh, If you're listening on your phone, you can click subscribe. You can share this with a friend or a colleague. Consider giving us a five-star review uh, or rating. And we appreciate that big time. It helps spread the word. It encourages us. We read all of those comments so that we can do better as we move forward. Happy New Year. And as always, from all of us at CCB Technology, thanks for listening. Bring it on, 2021. We're ready for you.